Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement, people who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. We just launched a Patreon with Green Planet, Blue Planet. Go check it out. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes. And in today's episode, my guest is Rishi Chidananda. Welcome, Rishi. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited for our conversation. Rishi is in New York as we're having this conversation, but he has spent the latter part of his life as a monk studying the philosophical traditions of India and gaining deep insights into their hidden meaning and timeless practices that are particularly relevant in this day and age. And before his spiritual path entered his life, he was a successful investment banker and entrepreneur. So now um, a decade later, his full circle in New York City with a mission that he's going to share quite a bit more about. And Rishi, I'd love to start just by understanding this fascinating life journey that you're on a little bit better. Sure, sure. Um, you know, the, the funny thing is that um, I am, my skin color is brown and I was born in India, in South India. But um, when I was a very little child, uh, we moved to the United States. So I spent the majority of my life um, in the West. And so, you know, as it goes, when, when you move in um, to a Western um, environment, you try and fit in. So uh, most of my life, I grew up uh, going to school, uh, going to university and really focusing on, let's say, the material um, aspects of life, doing well in school, um, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, I have all of the material things that I, that I need. And so, you know, in this process, I, I was not spiritual at all. Um, you know, there, there was no spirituality uh, that I followed. And I was very, very much just focused on the material things, which, um, you know, a lot of us are. And so in this process, um, after graduating from, from university, I, I went into uh, investment banking. So I was doing mergers and acquisitions. And in this field, um, I went even deeper into the material things. Yeah. Um, I remember I was 21 and um, my boss came and gave me a, a check for $40,000. Uh, it was the most money that I think I'd ever seen times 20. <laughs> and he said with the check, um, go buy yourself some uh, nice shoes, a nice suit, uh, and come back here looking uh, presentable. And so that's how my, uh, my career started was, was with that check and that statement. So you could only imagine how it went from there. Um, and so, you know, in this process, uh, I went deeper and deeper into the material pursuits. And at the same time, I also um, was um, with um, a girlfriend of mine that I was dating for about uh, seven years or so. And uh, there was a point uh, in time um, when I was around 25 where I said, I, I need to, to get married. Yeah, I need to go to the next stage of this um, path, which was to, you know, have children, get married, have a house, maybe even a minivan, you know, all of these things <laughs> yeah. that we see on the, on the TV. Um, I don't know about the minivan, you know, I don't know if I would have gone that far, but, you know, that process. Um, 
And so as this was happening, um, I, I got a ring and I proposed to her. And, you know, she did say yes. We were dating for seven years. But in that moment, um, something happened, which I couldn't really explain. And I, I really felt that even though everything was moving according to plan, or how I planned it, it seemed like something wasn't right. So um, as the wedding started to, to get closer and closer, this feeling started to get stronger and stronger that somehow maybe this isn't um, how it should be or this isn't how it should go. And you know, I couldn't quantify it in any way, but it was just this feeling that, that something was not right. And so, at this point, we had a conversation together and we spoke about these feelings and we both sort of decided, you know what, let's take a break. Let's kind of separate. And so in that separation, it was very, very powerful because um, afterwards, I didn't have anything to turn to. You know, what's really beautiful about what you're doing is that there's something that drives you. Right. There is uh, the, the, the motivation for world peace. So there is something that allows you to wake up every day where you find meaning and purpose. And for me, I didn't have that at all. You know, even though I was making money and I was doing the job, there wasn't a meaning and purpose driven life. It was more a material gratification type of life. And so there was a big difference in that. And so because of that, and because I, I wasn't, I didn't really find fulfillment, I went more and more into the material world. So I used to go out all of the time. I used to drink all of the time, party all of the time. And then a friend of mine, uh, or a cousin of mine, I should say, came and visited me in the States. And he saw how I was living. And he looked at me and he said, look, you have to change. If you don't change, it's not going to be good for you. And so I said, okay, what do I do? How can I make that change happen? And he said, read this book. It's called uh, Autobiography of a Yogi. Um, and so, you know, we've talked about this book uh, before as well between us. And uh, this book was written by a, a great saint who had moved to the States. And he talks a lot about uh, the philosophy of Vedanta, uh, which is the, the, the root of a lot of the Indian um, uh, tradition that we know as Hinduism. Yeah. And so it talks about uh, spiritual, spiritually enlightened beings um, and, and the guru-disciple relationship, various aspects of spirituality. And so I, I read the book and um, I read it literally in, in, in one day, maybe two days at the most. Wow. Yeah. And a little um, side note for anyone who knows the autobiography of, of a yogi. I mean, if you don't know it, please put it on your reading list. But if you do know it, that's a tough read to read in one or two days. Like something must have really, really resonated deeply with you. Yeah, I couldn't explain it. You know, it was just something that I put all of my focus on and I finished the book. But even after I finished it, I was, I was just thinking, oh, enlightened beings, yogis living for 5,000 years. You know, this is crazy. This, is, this can't be true. And so I put the book away kind of dismissing it, even though I had read it in two days, but it had a huge impact on me because afterwards something triggered and I, I literally, I could not go out anymore. 
I couldn't go to parties anymore. I could not drink anymore. Even the, the thought of, of taking something was sort of almost nauseating inside of me. And my friends would tell me like, what, what is wrong with you? Why are you not going out? Why are you not coming out with us? And I couldn't explain it, but just something in me just triggered um, a reaction where I, I literally was more happy just being by myself in my room than going out and partying and drinking and, and becoming intoxicated and all of these different things. So it was really, um, it was an interesting moment in my life, I would say. And so uh, in that process, I started to feel that I, I wanted to ex go and leave the States and to explore um, what the world has to offer, um, just to go and explore and, and just, you know, to see how things were. So I had a planned a trip to, to go and visit Italy, Spain, Germ um, not Germany, because Germany was too cold for me, but Italy, Spain, Portugal, and all of the nice places in Europe. And uh, it was sightseeing too in Europe. I get it. Yes, exactly. Um, and so, you know, and this was supposed to be at most one month or so. Um, and all, I also had planned to spend a few days in India and in the Himalayan mountains, just because that area was really, really resonated with me. I wouldn't even say it was something spiritual. It was just a mass. It was just the, the beauty of it was just very, very um, humbling, um, I would say. And I just wanted to visit it that space and so I remember the the last day I was in the states I was with my friends in the bar and um you know they looked at me and they said um oh you know you'll be back in a few days uh, you'll get sick of it after two weeks you know we know you you're not gonna enjoy it and I was like maybe you know I, I don't know maybe maybe and um you know and that night I remember you know I, I drank alcohol I ate meat uh, I was in a relationship and that was the last three times that I did any of those things. Um, once I took the flight out of the United States <laughs> and I remember I, I was with my mother and I was like, you know, I'll be back in a few weeks. And she started to cry and I'm like, why are you crying? And she's like, I don't know. I just have this feeling that I'm not going to see you for a very long time. You know, mothers... Wow. Others have an intuition uh, sometimes where they feel it, uh, even though we might not even be aware of it, uh, or even though they might not be aware of it. So it's interesting. <clears throat> so I, uh, I landed in a, a town called Rishikesh. And, um, you know, it was a very, I would say at that point, it was a spiritual town. You know, there was no meat, there's no alcohol, very, uh, very much focused on spiritual transformation. And usually like when you go to these types of places, your body also goes to a energetic purification you know, because you're in a space which is very high vibration. And sometimes when we spend a lot of our times in a low vibration environment and you, and you transition, the body has to go through that process of purification. And so for me, I started to fall really, really sick the first few days I was there. And I found myself just sort of in a delirium going to the, to the Ganga, which was the river that was running where I was staying and just calling out and just saying, you know, if there's a God, if there's something out there, why do I feel so empty? Uh, why do I feel so um, alone? You know, why do I not have any purpose or meaning in my life? And it was a very sincere call that I sort of sent forth 
And the very next day, there was a, a monk that was, uh, that was staying in the same place I was. And at the time, it was not a tourist time, it was winter time, so nobody was around. And his spiritual teacher had told him three months earlier to go to this place on this day and wait there. So he was from South Africa. So he caught a plane and he was just waiting there due to his spiritual teacher's um, uh, orders without understanding why, why he was there. You know? And so ironically, I meet him and we connect immediately. I see him and he's very interesting, the way he's dressed and how he looks. And we started to have a conversation um, on the on the on the bench facing the Ganga and you know we're, we're talking about life we're talking about all kinds of different things and um, at one moment you know he says uh, I'm a um, you know I'm a monk I have a guru his name is uh, Paramahamsa Vishwananda he's an enlightened being and you know he starts to talk a lot about all of these different things and once again I was like you know this guy is crazy this is insane this stuff doesn't really enlightened beings you know what is all of this stuff it's not true so i literally go up to stand up to leave to run away actually and in that moment i felt like a veil was just dropped um like imagine that you were watching black and white tv and then all of a sudden you started to watch hd tv uh it was just it was as quick as that switch turned on okay yeah yeah exactly and in that moment I looked and I literally could perceive everything around me. I could perceive the blades of grass. I could perceive the, the, um, uh, the insects, the animals, the wind. And in this moment, I felt this sort of intense love that I couldn't explain for everything around me. And, you know, it was one of those moments like, you know, you could, you could love your children, you could love your girlfriend or your wife, the honeymoon stage. But imagine that love multiplied and felt for literally everything around you. And I felt so much love. I felt like I was drowning in the love. Yeah, I, I couldn't even hold on to it. I started to cry because it was just too much. And, you know, and this is what we talk a lot. Uh, this is what you had mentioned in your introduction. It's like, how do we bring world peace? How do we um, uh, um, connect? And a lot of the times, I think it's, it's a simple thing. It's, ju it's just love, you know, and just to love everything around us um, in a very pure way without expectations and judgments and all these things. And I was very blessed in that moment to have had a little taste and experience of that. And I looked to this monk and I asked him, um, what is happening to me? He said, I don't know, you know, maybe it's because you heard your spiritual teacher's name, Paramahamsa uh, Swami Vishwananda. And I said, okay, who is he? What is he? And he said, well, he'll be here in 15 days, something called, for something called the Mahakumbha Mela. Sorry, in 21 days. And so, you know, we had discussed this in our earlier conversations that the Kumbha Mela is something that happens every four years. Mm -hmm. And there's ones that happen every 122 years. And it's a time when the planets are aligned in a certain way where it's believed if you take a dip in the water during that time, your spiritual evolution is fast forwarded. 
your spiritual growth is fast forward. And this particular one was happening um, after 122 years. And I found wow. myself days from it happening. And this was just by pure coincidence. Well, if we believe in coincidence, the, exactly. the serendipity of you lining up for that unique moment. I mean, you know, you briefly touched on the amount of separation you were, um, you know, going through and experiencing, but this is one of the interesting languages of the universe, serendipity or some, that circumstance, right? Where suddenly timing seems just perfect. Yes, absolutely. And this is the thing, you know, everything in t life has a right time, a right moment. And the thing is, most of us, you know, we have to, we have, we do a hard time with accepting the will of life. Sometimes we try and force things. And so like the art is to do our duty, to do our work, to wake up every day, do everything that we need to do, but not be attached to the fruits of our actions. Mm -hmm. We're able yeah. to these two of work and pray. So there's the, there was a saint in the Christian, um, Christian um, path called St. Benedict. And he had a very beautiful saying. He said, work and pray. Mm -hmm. So for most of us, we either work and we don't pray or others, we pray too much and we don't work. <laughs> I find that combination between work and pray, which really allows us to manifest um, what we are trying to achieve in this world. Ora et labora. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's a, that's a good one. The, the, the um, reflection that we have a society that either works without believing in prayer or a new age spirituality that, that is like not grounded in physical activity and actually coming back to work. Right. Exactly. Um, Rishi, there's something really interesting that just came up in, in, you know, you going through your story and I want to, I want to pick up there in, in a second, 21 days before you know, the, the, the big moment after 122 years. But what you just mentioned um, really relates to, well, the state of the world and what's happening in this movement of regeneration on our planet. And that is this understanding of, of right timing, right? Mm -hmm. in, in other words, we come out of a dying paradigm where man, specifically man, right, has understood its role to dominate nature and everything in its path. And we've, I guess, in, you know, in this time now in the 21st century, we've come to really understand the limitations of that paradigm and, and how that paradigm is not set for an abundant future. Mm. And definitely not for a future in, in which abundantly everyone is provided for. And so that notion going from domination consciousness into alignment consciousness with nature i think is something that at, at a large we as humanity are are going through we're really seeing the the dying paradigm of domination we're seeing its last um tentacles of power we're seeing its last attempts to break what's still able to be broken but then really when we go into the emerging and and, and birthing paradigm of alignment we see proof and proof and proof and proof again if you call it spirit or god or if you just call it serendipity that life itself has or biomimicry life itself has a level of intelligence that we when we match up with it when we listen and then we bring the ingenious human skill to the table a complete new experience is possible yes absolutely absolutely 
And I think this just requires the humbling of the ego. Because a lot of us were so focused on the material world. We're so focused on how that our actions uh, are the most important, or, or we have this, uh, even this concept that we are better than others. And as long as that paradigm is there, we're never going to be able to transition. But once we start to realize that actually there's no difference between you and me, at the end of the day, we're both divine. And to see how we can come together in a state of love rather than a state of ego, um, I believe is one of the, the only ways to really bring about an impactful change uh, in this world. <laughs> yeah, beautifully put. I mean, I could go uh, rant on now how, how that how that relates to, again, the dying system and how we've created it through law and government and how we now have to bring this love and peace of the humbled ego into this um, Yes. I don't want to call it 3D. We don't have to bring that into 3D, but we, we, we will want to connect our uh, lawmaking and the way we govern and the way we build systems into a way that it mimics and reflects this peace, this love, this, this humbled ego, which, which is a whole, worth a whole conversation. Um, because that's the only way forward is, is, as you said, like about five minutes ago, you said, we, we can't really fight with reality. Right? And so if when we stop fighting with reality, what's, what's left is us accepting reality and then playing with reality. It's very true. I want to I come back to your story, Rishi, because I'm, I'm fascinated. You know, it's, it's so like I'm, I'm, I'm following you and every word you're sharing because it's so real through your words. I'm like seeing the pictures of you arriving there, meeting your teachers because it's so real to many people's experience to how suddenly an internal voice, a certain form of guidance, kind of a, a you know, um, a nudge of fate or whatever you want to call it, just starts to reroute and redirect life. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, I always say every action has a cosmic consequence. We might not perceive it in that moment, but every action that we do has a cosmic consequence. So it's so important to be aligned with our true self, to be aligned with our true nature. So that compass, that inner voice guides us in the right direction. Yeah. And also to have the awareness that sometimes we can't escape our destinies, right? <laughs> as much as we might be um, in the world, as much as things might look very, very bad, we can't escape our destinies of what we're meant to do in this world. And to really have that faith that everything is also going to work out and play out the way it needs to. Uh, and for us just to be in a mode of service, acceptance and humility as that process unfolds uh, naturally uh, the way it needs to. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, I think uh, to, to continue with, with where I had uh, left off, um, so yeah, I, I, I spoke um, with the monk and I said, okay, if he's going to be here in 21 days, I cancel the rest of my trip to Europe and I just wait uh, to see him because I want to meet him. So for the next 21 days, I canceled the trip and we just spent time together, just talking like, like me and you are talking now. You know, I, and I learned about the Vedic philosophy. What is Hinduism? What does it mean to have a teacher? 
um, I was also initiated into Kriya Yoga, which is an ancient yoga lineage that's passed down from Avatar Babaji in the book Autobiography of a Yogi. So I, I started to make all of these connections and they were coming sort of full circle. And after 21 days, um, um, my teacher arrives in India and I go and meet him and he looks at me. And the first thing that he says is, what do you want with life? And I said, I, I just want to be happy. And he says, don't worry, you will be happy. And, you know, at that time, happiness to me meant much, meant something much different than it means to me now. You know, at that time, happiness meant like having a girlfriend or having a wife, having a lot of money, uh, doing all of the material things. Um, but now, you know, after all of these years, happiness means something much different. Um, and I do have to say he has delivered on his promise, but not in a way that I was expecting in that moment. <laughs> and so then afterwards he said, why don't you spend time with us for the next 20 days or the next 15 days taking part in the Kumbhmela? So I was with him. Uh, you know, the thing is when you're around an enlightened being, a spiritual master, there's a certain vibration of peace that they emanate, which is immensely powerful and impactful. And so for me, being around uh, such a saint was um, had a huge impact on me, even if it was only for 15 days. And afterwards, I asked him, what should I do now? <laughs> and he said, uh, well, come and visit me in my ashram in Germany, uh, near Frankfurt, Germany. So I said, okay. So I packed my bags directly from India. I flew to Germany and I went to his ashram and I spent a few weeks there. And I started to realize that, you know, the, the, the main mission for him has been to um, bridge the, the, the Western and Eastern ways of viewing life, yeah. uh, to bring these traditions together, because ultimately that's the only way we're gonna find peace. It's when we're able to uh, co, um, um, uh, co uh, collaborate to, together and to, um, to accept each other's um, beliefs and cultures and everything else and so that's been his main mission is to bridge this gap and that's why he had created the center in Frankfurt or close to Frankfurt as, as you might know Frankfurt has the most international connections in the world Frankfurt airport it's definitely one of those amalgamation points even even just to look at the, the airport I mean you know Germany throughout history having you know having been born there in 1987 myself there is in his recent history, a lot of, yeah, you know, melting together energy, let's call it this, like the Berlin Wall coming down, cap capitalism and, and the, you know, form of communism that was happening in, in this Soviet time kind of melting together. And now, as you said, like Frankfurt Airport, bringing people from the East and the West into the portal of the world again. It's a very interesting spot. That's that's for sure. What a, what a peculiar... Um, place to choose for an ashram um yeah yeah it's not very common that you would find an ashram in the middle of germany you know as you know you grew you grew up there so you've had these conversations uh but uh yeah it's, it's very interesting but at the same time very deeply symbolic of, of um of what the, the purpose is of having a place like that and where it is and so you know i i um i spent a few weeks there and then i started to really uh 
find meaning and purpose in the, the teachings of, um, of my spiritual teacher and what he wants to bring forward. And so I asked, can I stay a bit longer? And he said, sure. And so three weeks turned into three months. Uh, then three months turned into one year. One year turned into two years. Two years turned into three, four, five, six, seven years. And the next thing I knew, I was in the ashram for seven years. Wow. And I never went back to the United States. I never went back to America. And um, you know, I took the initiation as a, as a monk, uh, which means that you remain celibate. Uh, you give up your material um, 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 your material things. Uh, you don't uh, partake in uh, an alcohol, drugs, or meat. So there's certain vows that we take. And so I took the vow. And um, yeah, I lived in the, in the ashram for, for, seven, for seven years. Um, wow, and- Rishi. What a, what a journey for you to come all the way from separation, materialistic pursuit into this, you know, well, very particular, very specific uh, initiation. I think, you know, you shared with me previously that, you know, just the initiation into the the Kriya Yoga lineage itself was beyond what logic might be able to comprehend the the way that, you know, our energy body is is, is connected throughout lifetimes, literally. And um, wow. But the interesting part also is that now you're in New York and you're, you're there with a mission, you know, I mean, you're, you're residing there and you're the co-founder of the Peace Center focused on providing homeless people and those facing mental hardships like with simple meditation practices. So, so how did that come? How did that come about? I mean, I'm assuming you weren't sitting there for seven years in the monastery and plotting that plan, but you were simply surrendering to, to the, the now moment in your practices. Yeah, so, you know, I think the, um, for the last seven years, you, 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 what, being in an ashram, you know, you don't um, gain anything material. There's no material uh, benefits that you accrue. There's no capital <laughs> uh, things that you get. So from an external standpoint, you're not a millionaire. You're, you're essentially homeless. But internally, you become a millionaire of the heart because you dive deep inside to an understanding of who you are. And when you understand who you are, which is divine and eternal, the material things cease to have an effect on you. And that's when you become truly free because it does not matter if God makes you an emperor or puts you on the street, or it does not matter if you have a million dollars or nothing. Inside, you're constantly at peace. Inside, you're in a state of equanimity. And that's the biggest value and the biggest thing that was given to me uh, spending this time with my spiritual teacher in the ashram for seven years. And so in this process, I also started to uh, travel and give talks around the world on spirituality, on various Vedic Hindu scriptures, such as the Bhagavad Gita and the Ramayana. And uh, after some time in 2020, um, just following and seeing what was happening in the United States, I felt this sort of calling to, um, to leave the ashram and to spread the teachings and to talk about the path um, in different places around the world. And somehow it just so happened that the United States ended up being the place. Because um, I had met a few good friends in my travels that had a space in New York City uh, they said, please come and stay here for three months and, you know, uh, and please, you can 
operate from here, give classes here, do different things here to help to create this uh, spiritual community. And so I was very, very blessed. And so after seven years, I took a flight and I came to New York City and then started the process of, um, of trying to build this peace center and this community. And a lot of this has its emphasis on, um, on helping the homeless, which is a very, um, uh, which was a mission that I was not aware of or uh, that I did not feel I had a connection to till I came here. And I had some very beautiful experiences with the homeless that solidified um, the calling to, to, um, to assist them in whatever you know, way that I, that I can. And I can share some of those stories with you if you like of how, how it happened. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. I'd love to dive deeper. I, you know, for for this episode, um, definitely surrendered all of my my regular questions um, because it's just such an interesting journey, Rishi. And you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll have we'll have many conversations going forward or at another time. But for now, let's definitely dive deeper into this mission and and you know, just you're at the very beginning of it, unfolding. Um, unfolding as as you step into the journey so you you said you've had your first own encounters that then basically brought out this clarity of like yeah, yeah this is what i'm actually doing here well yeah so you know the thing is in uh, in hinduism there's a strong um correlation between the feminine and the masculine and so the feminine aspect is called of the divine is called the divine mother so she embodies mercy grace humility compassion and so we do a lot of different rituals and ceremonies and prayers to the Divine Mother to bless us so we can walk this path um, of the spiritual path. And so there's a, more, uh, there's a celebration in Hinduism called Navaratri, which uh, lasts for nine days. And every day uh, we venerate a particular characteristic and quality of the Divine Mother. And so in the ashram, it's a big deal. You know, there's a big pujas and prayers and all these things. But unfortunately here, you know, that, that's not possible. But I was lucky enough that there's a beautiful church outside of where I live. And there's a, a, a statue of Mother Mary, who for me represents the divine, uh, the feminine divine. And so I decided that every day for these nine days, I'm going to take a rose and offer it to this um, statue, just as my personal sort of prayer for her during this time and so the first day I go I buy a rose and I offer it to her and I do a prayer meditate and then afterwards I go for a little walk around the church and so I go for a walk and I come back and I see this homeless man and he has his pants down and he's urinating everywhere all over where the rose was, all over where I did my prayers, all over where the, the, the statue of the Divine Mother was. And I'm observing this, and there is a state of anger that comes out initially. How dare this person defile this place? How dare that this, ha you know, how can he do this? Does he not have any understanding of how sacred this place is? And so all of these things start to come up inside of me. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I look at her and she's looking at this person and she's smiling and laughing and showing so much compassion to him. And in that moment when I looked at her, I started to realize that this divine mother, 
she loves all of her children. She loves the saints just as much as she loves the, the sinners. She loves the, the people in the ashram just as love as much as she loves the people on the streets. And so for her, there is no difference as to who the person is. Her love is equal to all of her creation. And so that was such a, a beautiful and amazing moment for me to experience and to understand that in the same way the Divine Mother loves her creation, we also should love in the same way. And that was my first sort of um, understanding of that, you know, to really help the people that, that are in need most and to, uh, and to be there for them in whatever way that, that uh, God can um, allow me to, to do so. Wow. You know, love is truly unconditional and it's, it's certainly challenging when these, these things happen, but an interesting perspective that you had the patience to see it through Mother Mary's eyes first. Did you end up having a conversation with that individual or did you just let that all pass? You know, the realization started to come afterwards. So I let that pass mm. the way it needed to pass. And what was funny is that... Um, mm -hmm. On the last, um, the second to last day of the of the Navaratri, where we celebrate the Divine Mother, once again I was walking the streets, and um, as I was walking the streets, um, I was in Manhattan, somewhere in downtown, and there was a homeless man that started to come towards me, and so as he started to pass, we saw each other and we looked at each other in, in the eyes, and there was like an instant moment of like a connection like a love like some type of spark and we both sort of stopped in our tracks and he looked at me and he said can i walk with you he didn't ask for money he didn't ask for anything he just said can i walk with you i said sure if you'd like to walk with me let's walk so we started to walk and you know we talked about various things of life and asked for my name and i said it's rishi and then we came to a crossroads and we and we went our separate ways the next day, the final day of the Navaratri, of the celebrations of the Divine Mother, I was in a completely different part of town in a random subway station. As you know, there's thousands of subway stations. And um, the very next day, mind you, and I'm sitting waiting for a train and all of a sudden I hear to my ear, hello Rishi. And I look over and it is the same exact homeless person. And keep in mind, you never see the same person twice in New York City. And I saw this person the very next day in a completely different part of town in a random subway station. And I'm, I was shocked. I said, what are you doing here? And he points to this red line on my face, which represents the Divine Mother. And he says, the Divine Mother connected us again. Mm. I never spoke to him about Navaratri. I never told him it was, the, it was the celebrations. He knew nothing about these things. But he just points and said, the Divine Mother connected us. And he said, do you mind if I just ride with you in the subway station? I said, sure, if you like. So we started to ride in the subway station and we, and we talked and I asked him, I was just completely taken back. And I said, no, what do you feel that I should do to help to grow the mission? And he says, live in truth, live in truth. I said, okay, and then, um, the, the subway station comes to an end and, he's, and he has to go and he gives me a big hug and he looked at me and this is the final day of Navaratri, the final celebration night. And he says, may the divine mother and all of her children bless you. 
he gives me a big hug and he leaves and I, I never saw him again. Wow. The stories of New York City, I bet that that alone is worth a, a whole pursuit of a book or a podcast or, or an interview series is the, those stories of serendipity that, you know, random, not so random subway station uh, reunites you. There, there is a, a big power in, you know, at least on a subtle level that I've experienced in the role homeless people play in our Western world. And sometimes the way I go into this is, you know, when we zoom out on the timeline into a seven generational perspective of what's happening here, what does the word homeless really mean? How, how do we have homeless people when we have empty homes? Mm. How did we ever make sense of that? Like how, how does that justify in our, in our brain that we're like, Oh yeah, no, but that person didn't make the cut. They're homeless. And then, you know, so, so I can chuckle about it from my place of privilege, maybe for some other people that's much more challenging. But the reason why I choose to chuckle about it is because the nonsensicalness of it, the part that doesn't actually make sense, is, I, I believe, kind of the, the gateway to what's next, which is building bridges, building opportunities, building spaces to learn from each other. Because clearly that individual had... Um, his very own access to you know the divine mother talking to him yes yeah absolutely and you know i think that that was the main catalyst for me and in that moment i started to realize that so i, I really wanted to work with the homeless and so we're doing this mantra called om namo narayanaya and we're chanting it for 15 minutes 10 days and i saw it had huge impacts on the people that are doing it around me and I wanted to also bring it to, to the people that might not have access to it. And so that was sort of the original sort of catalyst to, to help and bring this mantra and this meditation to the, to the homeless. And what was really interesting as this mantra movement started to happen, uh, the first day I went uh, and to a park where there was a lot of homeless people. And I just said, would you like to do a mantra meditation? The first thing the homeless person said to me was, no, I'm hungry. I want to eat. I don't want to do a meditation. And I was like, oh, like that was like, oh, okay, well, he's right. You know, that, that needs to happen. And I went to the next person. Same thing. You know, I can't concentrate on the mantra when I'm hungry. And then I went to another lady. I just approached her. She looked at me and she ran away. And so it was like such a humbling moment to understand what is this about? It's not just about giving a mantra and a meditation. Mm. It's actually a very holistic approach where you give the people food, some tea, you sit down, you speak with them, get to know them. And in that process, if they are open and wanting to do a meditation, then you can offer that as a service. And so that's what I've really learned. Uh, that's what's really humbled me is to really take the time to get to know them. Because you see, when life has taken everything away from you, there's a certain amount of humility that arises and a certain amount of wisdom. And so, you know, regardless of how it happened, maybe through drugs, other circumstances, whatever it was, it, it happened. The reality now is that everything has been taken away from them. And maybe, you know, they're doing drugs. Maybe they're addicted. Maybe there are different things they're facing and struggling with. But at the end of the day, they're human just like us. And they have wisdom to give 
that not a lot of us can give because not a lot of us are in, have ever been put in a situation where life has literally taken everything away from us. And when that happens, there is a certain wisdom that arises. And if you're willing to listen to it, can have a big impact on your life. So to so this process, I've learned so much from them. I just in the process of giving food and just talking with them, regardless of the meditations. And so now that is sort of the process that uh, I've been doing with the mantra movement is really focusing on the food and getting to know them. And throughout that conversation, if something else arises, then um, that's God's will. Beautiful. Well, Rishi, for, for this time, we're kind of approaching the end of our, our episode. And I want to make sure that you get to, you know, invite um, those who are listening into your process. So if there is um, a form to get in touch with you, if there is, um, you know, for, you know, there's millions of people who live in New York, and I'm sure we're all, we're all only one or two degrees away from being connected with each other. So, you know, especially for those who could physically be in a similar location or have friends that are, um, what are some great ways to connect with you? And what really is also, um, yeah, helpful? What's actually meeting you in, in that mission? Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, I think uh, the best thing is, you know, obviously living in, a, in an ashram, I was not into social media or any of those things. So the, being here in New York City, I realized that social media plays an integral part in the connections that we make. And so I've been using Instagram. And so if anybody is uh, interested in connecting, please feel free just to send me a message on Instagram and I could share some more information about how you could possibly uh, donate to the cause to help bring food and water and meditation. Um, also how if you're living around here, you can come and join a meditation that we're having on a weekly basis. Or if you yourself want to do the mantra project, um, it requires 15 minutes, 10 days with a specific mantra. Um, we can do that on Zoom as well. So I think the first step is just uh, to reach out to me on, on, um, on Instagram or, you know, I can also provide an email that you might want to put in the link. Uh, and then uh, we can just, you know, have a conversation and see how um, we can be of service to, to each other. Wonderful. I will definitely link out your Instagram and your email in the show notes of this episode. Um, my closing question for today is, I'm, I'm just really curious. I've asked this every single person on the show and, um, you know, let's together, Rishi, zoom out for those seven generations, mm -hmm. just for the moment of now. And my question to you is, what is the message or the dream that's in your soul, in your heart, that, you know, you're here to live or embody as, quote unquote, uh, like a good ancestor to the future, a good ancestor to those seven generations. So what's your dream for the earth um, that's coming through you? I think it's just two words, just love. Just love. That's a really, really beautiful answer to this question. I invite all of us to take this into our day as it's the end of this episode. Thank you so much, Rishi, for your wisdom, for your insights, for your story, for sharing it publicly and for walking the walk you're walking. Um, yeah, in, in deep gratitude to who you are. 
thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Take care. Here we are. This is your host, Julian. Thanks for listening. I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast and received some insights, knowledge, and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life, relationships, and business, and the way you show up as your best self for the world. Did you know that we just launched a participatory Patreon asking you for your contributions of content and gifting a monthly subscription to our shared mission? The Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, video interviews, and community is growing, and together we can make it count and carry big ripples. So go and check out the Patreon. It's linked out in the show notes of every episode. The Patreon for Green Planet, Blue Planet, and the community we're building together. Thanks for choosing to support with your time, money, or content. And that being said, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe, review the show, share it with a friend, spread the love, and have yourself a stellar day. All the best. Mm -hmm.